Welcome or welcome back to the Elevated Podcast hosted by Lisa Battaglia. By listening to this podcast, you are joining the Elevation Nation, a community of heart-centered, curious, and fearless minds who embrace their duality. As we approach fascinating stories, relationships, books, tech law and policy, and world happenings, the Elevated Podcast encourages you to learn, self-reflect, and honor all that you are. Thank you for tuning in to the Elevated Podcast and taking the time to nourish your roots and elevate your soul. Let's get into it. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Elevated Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa. I'm so glad that you're here. You might have been seeing a lot of news around big tech this week, in the past couple of weeks. News headlines like Taylor Swift and her non-consensual explicit deep fakes circulating on X, formerly known as Twitter. You might have seen Mark Zuckerberg at the hearings. You might have seen that because I posted about it on my stories. You might have seen that Elon Musk is hiring again for trust and safety content moderators. There are a lot of tech happenings happening right now. And I thought it would be good to put it all in a little podcast episode for you so that you would know everything that's happening right now without having to do a ton of research on these issues. I want to give you like the bare minimum stuff you need to know because this stuff needs to be understood by everybody and it's quite complex. And so a lot of people um, maybe don't have time to deep dive into this stuff. So I wanted to make it super accessible for people. I want to go through a couple of things that are happening this month in tech, in tech regulation. And I want to talk to you about like the different stakeholders and all of these things And maybe it will help you kind of form an opinion about the next steps that Congress should take or big tech should take or that we should take as the users of these social media companies. So I want to start off with the online child safety hearing that happened at the Senate Judiciary Committee. So basically, Congress asked for five big tech CEOs to come and testify in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee on child safety and what they were doing for child safety. So they asked the CEO from Discord, X formerly known as Twitter, Meta, TikTok, and Snapchat. So they grilled these five CEOs for about three hours. I listened to the entire three plus hours and compiled it in a quick five minute blog for you to read on my medium. But I'm going to talk a little bit about it here. It was It was the first time a group of big tech CEOs testified on online child exploitation before Congress. Throughout these three plus hours, Congress really grilled these CEOs on each of their actions to combat child exploitations on their platforms. They They each made their opening statements at the beginning. And the thing that was the common denominator in all of their opening statements was that they each used their personal connection to this issue as a parent. And I thought that it was really interesting. Uh, A couple questions came up about, would you let your child use this app? Which I think is a great question. Are these CEOs allowing their children to use this app? Or even if they're young right now, will they allow their, their children to use this app? It's a really good question. Because I think a lot of them had a hard time answering that. Um, Besides the fact that they were too young to be using it. They just, that's all they said. My child's too young to be using it. And 
Like, what about when they're 13 and ready? They wouldn't answer it. So Senator Durbin, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, started by calling out Discord, Snap, and X for not attending voluntarily because they were subpoenaed. TikTok and Meta did join voluntarily. Senator Durbin explains that U.S. Marshals were forced to deliver the subpoenas personally to ex-CEO Linda Yaccarino and Discord CEO Jason Chitron after the companies declined to accept the summons. He also noted that they used they had to use uh, U.S. taxpayer dollars to go subpoena these CEOs, which I thought it was like a little dig that I kind of enjoyed listening to, <laughs> that they did note that those companies didn't come voluntarily. And it kind of set the tone. It really set the tone for me, at least, that these CEOs weren't really there voluntarily and they were kind of forced to be there. It set the tone for the rest of the conversation. There was an interesting difference between their grilling of TikTok and Meta versus the rest of the companies. And what I thought was so interesting was that they didn't ask Evan Spiegel a whole lot of questions, which maybe in 2018 they would have, or 2016 to 2018. Maybe they would have asked him way more questions. But they did bring up the fact that Snapchat is used for this particular issue because Snapchats go away once you look at them. Therefore, you know, people to have more naughty conversations. And so it's kind of the go-to app for these issues that we're talking about. It was brought up once, and then very few questions were directed at Evan Spiegel, the CEO of Snapchat. The majority of the questions were directed at Mark Zuckerberg, who is the meta CEO. That's Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram. You probably already know that, but Sometimes just good to remind you that there are, it's not just Facebook, but it's also Instagram and WhatsApp. Another common theme that came up was the senators making clear their opinions on Section 230. And this brings up a whole different issue that I had with this hearing. Of course, this is going to happen, but it was hard to watch. The fact that so many of these politicians made it about their political agenda The conversation was pivoted so many times to very different topics, which I'll get into, but they all wanted to make their opinions on Section 230 very clear. Some senators advocated for repealing Section 230. In Section 230, if you don't know, it eliminates any liability for social media companies when they host anything, any type of material, which includes CSAM. CSAM is child sexual abuse material. It eliminates any liability for social media companies. So basically, if something of this nature happens on the website, the company itself is not liable for hosting that content. So the big question at the Supreme Court last term was whether social media companies should be liable for promoting the content through their algorithms. And the Supreme Court ended up kind of punting that issue back to Congress. So I think that's why we're seeing this conversation happen even more so now. The numbers were staggering. I didn't get into the numbers on here because I was just, there were so many. But the amount of Nick Mick reports that have gone up in the past few years is, it was staggering. Something like 800, don't quote me on this, 800,000 
NCMEC reports last year alone, the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children received over 800,000 reports. It's about 2,000 a day that they get, which has gone up significantly since 2017, obviously. The amount of increase was really shocking to me. But like we knew that, but it was interesting to kind of see those numbers. So the senators were really asking for the CEO's support in repealing Section 230. They just said, do you support the repealing of Section 230? Obviously, social media companies aren't going to agree to that. Section 230 removes any liability for them. And what would happen if we repealed Section 230 and made social com- social media companies liable for the content that they're hosting? It opens the floodgates of every single person that's impacted by it to be able to sue a meta, let's say, Court systems overwhelmed, the amount of people, the amount of money it would take for Meta to compensate all those families. They, the understanding is that maybe they would go under. And if you are out there listening and you have an understanding of what that would look like financially for companies, if they open the doors, repealed Section 230, I'd love to hear from you on exact numbers of what that would look like. But to me, the understanding is that it would be nearly impossible to deal with because of the volume of the stuff that's going on in there. On that same note of senators asking for support on this, on these issues, they were asking for the tech CEOs to support legislation like the SHIELD Act, the Stop CSAM Act, and the Earn It Act, which are all kind of variations of the same thing of holding social media companies liable for CSAM content or different types of content. They're really kind of different variations of the same thing. But you can, I put some links in there so that you can learn about each one. So CEOs, with the exception of X's Linda Yaccarino, who voiced support for the Earn It Act, and Snapchat's Evan Spiegel, who has backed the Kids Online Safety Act, which is more so about children's privacy, the rest of them were reluctant to support this legislation because they understood that the implementation of this legislation is so much more complicated than Congress is aware of. And that was a huge disconnect. That was something that is so notable, has been notable this whole time. I am shocked that they still have such a limited understanding of how these technologies com- these technology companies work. And that was a huge disconnect. Obviously, everybody in that room agreed that this is an issue and we need to solve it. It was a matter of how do we agree on how to solve it? But Senator seemed still a little bit, had a limited understanding of how these social media companies work, how complicated the implementation of these acts would be. And they kept like asking for support. Like, do you support this? And they wanted a yes or no answer. And it wasn't, it's not that black and white. So I think it was Senator Josh Hawley who kept asking Mark Zuckerberg, like, who did you fire? Who did you fire? when this came up? Or did you compensate the victim's families? And they like, didn't allow the executives to explain any nuanced ramifications of that type of liability. The senators kept like noting the company's lack of action, which I thought was interesting. And this is a this is the main point of debate from this hearing was, are social media companies not doing enough? Because they're certainly doing a lot. 
And they're certainly trying to control this issue. It's not like they're completely ignorant to the issue. Given the volume and the speed at which tech can work, are they ignoring the issue? Or are they just roll? It seems like the argument was that they're they're rolling out these features for their technology without really having the backing of trust and safety and content moderation teams to be able to deal with anything that stems from this new technology. So they kind of just want to get new products out there without having the preparation and the trust and safety teams to deal with anything that comes from it. And I thought that was a really interesting point that I understand that they're like doing that to, you know, keep their company going and to keep the money flowing in. But the cost of not putting trust and safety teams ready to go from the beginning is so much more costly to them than doing it in the first place. So that kind of takes us to what's happening at X. Uh, If you don't know, not familiar with Elon Musk, (laughs) he bought Twitter, changed it to X, and he decided to fire a large majority of the trust and safety team. And everybody was not happy about it, obviously. And only recently after the Senate Judiciary Committee asked X to come and testify, and after the Taylor Swift AI deepfake issue, did they decide and announce to open up a child safety center in Austin, Texas, and hire 100 content moderators and trust and safety folks. So he fired the team, and then he decided, oh, wait, that's not going to work, <laughs> and is now working to rehire a giant team in Austin, Texas. It's just a really good case study of a company that thinks that they can do without these people. And quite frankly, a lot of companies are putting so many layoffs on, and it is mainly impacting trust and safety folks and all tech folks, but a lot of trust and safety folks. And so we're going to talk about that in a little bit, whether that was a point of discussion. But I thought it was really interesting that they're kind of noting the tech CEO's lack of accountability or lack of action around these things when they're certainly, they could point to so many projects that they're doing. So I'm curious to know what your opinion of that is. If you're in this space, do you think tech CEOs aren't doing anything? Do you think they're just simply not doing enough and that's why we're having these conversations? Or do you think they're doing as much as they possibly can, given the resources that they have, given the amount, the volume of crap that's going on on their websites? I thought it was interesting that the senators were noting the lack of action without like noting their own. I'm like, if we're going to talk about accountability and getting things done and being productive, I don't really want to hear from Congress. But that's just me. Um, Senator Durbin also called out X for implementing changes in the last week. Like we talked about, the X decided and announced that they were going to hire this team of 100 content moderators And it was really in anticipation for the hearing so that they would be able to say that they just did something to combat this issue. And so Durbin did call them out on that, which I thought was really interesting. So I want to just take like do a couple takeaways from each of the companies individually. Ex-CEO Linda Yaccarino, 
kept noting that the company is only 14 months old in her justification for these rapid changes, even though Twitter has obviously been around for much longer. But it was so interesting that they were kind of negating the entire idea that this company has been around for longer than 14 months. They were saying we're a completely new company. Such an interesting note that they they kept making. Another note that they kept making about their their uh, company was that they do not have a direct line of business to children. They were kind of wiping their hands clean of saying, we don't really have a direct line of business to children, so we shouldn't really be here. <laughs> we shouldn't really be in this conversation. Obviously, we want to deal with this this issue, but like, that's not our line of business. They kind of were like, TikTok, on the other hand, has a direct line of business to children. They are even more uh, worthy of speaking to about this because they do have that direct line of business to children. Uh, Ex-CEO Linda Yaccarino kept saying, only 1% of our users are under 18. And the question kept going up, 1% of what though? (laughs) There's like 100,000, hundreds of thousands of kids still on your platform. And it doesn't matter that it's only 1%. Like there's still, there's still a conversation to be had about you guys doing the right thing, especially if you're not going to hire a trust and safety team. Speaking of hiring changes. Uh, the executives emphasized their continuation of spending billions of dollars across platform safety efforts, despite massive layoffs across the industry. TikTok said that they invest intend to invest $2 billion in trust and safety this year. They also said that they have 40,000 trust and safety professionals working at TikTok across the globe. Seemed extremely high number. I think he is accounting for contractors, but that seems so high to me. 40,000 trust and safety professionals. Senator Welch inquired about the drastic amount of layoffs. I'm so glad that he brought this up. He inquired about the massive layoffs across tech and whether that impacted the social media company's trust and safety prioritization. All the CEOs claimed that their investment has been consistent, even though those layoffs have been impacting trust and safety teams the most. What a point to discuss here. They're doing massive layoffs across trust and safety, but saying that their commitment and continuation has not wavered at all. Many senators compared social media as the tool that kills children. And I thought, well, why aren't we talking about the bad actors on the social media apps themselves? But this is a really interesting point to talk about. Senators kept making this comparison to regulating guns and cigarettes. We learned that cigarettes were bad for us, so we started regulating them. We learned that guns aren't really good for us, so we started regulating those. And they said after the plane door flew off of the plane, that Boeing 737 in an Alaskan Airlines flight recently, they recalled all of those planes So senators made that comparison a lot, that social media companies should undergo the same type of restrictions and regulations as any other industry that we know are bad for us. So it's like, people kept saying that there's a lot of good that comes from social media. Sure, there's a lot of good that can come from guns. If you think about it, it can be used as self-defense. It depends on what you think about guns, but like you could maybe make an argument for something 
There's obviously a lot of good that comes from airplanes, but maybe because the bad is starting to outweigh the negative, the good, that maybe it does need to be regulated a little bit. There, every other industry is regulated. I'm not a person that's going to advocate for regulation very often, but if we're seeing that so much bad is coming from it, maybe there's something to be said for that. So that conversation was really around Section 230. No other industry has a Section 230 that says, you're not liable for a single thing that happens on your platform. Most company or most industries have some sort of regulation here. The senator's questions, as I mentioned before, were primarily directed at Meta and TikTok. And X maintains this like narrative, we don't have a direct line of business for children. It seems to kind of take the weight off of them. And very few questions were directed at Snap. Very few questions were directed at Discord, which maybe the like maybe Meta and TikTok really are dominating the industry so much more. But I did want to hear from these other companies a little bit. I mean, it was what you would expect. You would expect TikTok and Meta to get the majority of the questions. But TikTok's questions were very much not about the issue at hand. Let me tell you about that. Many senators use this opportunity to raise separate issues, like China's access to U.S. data through TikTok. They they asked TikTok a lot about the promotion of pro-Hamas content. They asked Snapchat, which I thought was very interesting, about past incidents of children obtaining fentanyl-laced drugs on Snapchat which was a story that came up a few times where children bought drugs from random strangers on Snapchat and they ended up being laced with fentanyl and those children died. And Snapchat really emphasizes its commitment to working with law enforcement and the DEA under the Cooper Davis Act to eliminate any drug exchange through its platform. It seemed as though X and Snap were the most compliance with things that they were suggesting like are you willing to work with us on this yes we're willing to we're willing to support these acts we're very supportive of these things it seemed as though they were really trying to grill meta and tiktok because they weren't as supportive of those things so I'm curious what you think about that Senator Corbin really focused his line of questioning on the national security risk of TikTok. Senator Hawley kept asking Zuckerberg who he fired and who, like, he had Zuckerberg stand up and apologize to the victims. Maybe that's the scene that you saw from this. And I felt that it was very theatrical. A lot of the politicians were being very theatrical and not really, it wasn't really about the issue at hand and asking questions and having a conversation was more about them furthering their political agendas. I wanted it to be more about what we were talking about. And I don't mean to call out any particular side. I thought both sides of the spectrum, they have their things, right? And they have their issues. And they're both going to be a little annoying sometimes. But I made some notes about certain senators that really didn't let anyone else talk. They really were doing it for theatrics. And I think some of them felt like they were trying to get like a viral moment or they were trying to, and it's, you know, you have to keep in mind that we have an election coming up. So I think that that is a big driver too of getting that talked about, that one moment talked about for people. Um, Senator Tillis recognized that the responsibility lies with Congress. 
he had a great part. If you listen to any part, listen to Senator Tillis's part. He recognized the responsibility really lies with Congress to follow through on this legislation. It's like, uh, hello. If you're going to talk about accountability and getting things done, it is on Congress. It is on us to follow through with this legislation. Senator Tillis also recognized that these tech leaders did not intend for this to happen when they invented these apps in their college dorm rooms. I think about that all the time. Think about Evan Spiegel and Mark Zuckerberg in their college dorm rooms, just wanting to create a cool app where you connect with your friends. They had no idea that they were creating something that would be used in the way that some disgusting people use it on the internet. But Senator Tillis also said, I hope that you continue to improve safety and to work on this every waking minute of your lives. He also worried that if these social media companies are eliminated or they go under, these bad actors are just going to turn to even worse platforms that are not regulated at all, that don't even have any moral stance against these issues. Congress really urged tech CEOs to provide it with clear explanations and data on how effective these safety tools are. So I thought this was a really productive part of the conversation. Senators asked them, how do we know that these things that you're doing are working? How do we know that these um, parental controls are working? Do parents know how to set parental controls on their kid's phone? Do kids know to not, to, to bring it up with their parents? Probably not. Does law enfor- Is law enforcement really educated on this stuff? Do they have enough resources about how this all works? So Senator Padilla was asking, how do we ensure that parents are aware of these tools and that and ex-CEO was advocating for law enforcement education, both kind of demonstrating the complexity of enforcing these safety tools. Even if you put these projects in place, are people going to know how to use them and make them as effective as they possibly can be? That's another very complex part of this whole mission. So overall, Congress and big tech really agree that online child exploitation is rampant, needs to be managed, but they can't agree on the right actions to take next. So Congress voiced simple solutions, repeal Section 230, hold platforms liable, open the court system and allow families to sue social media companies. Just put in all these acts so that it makes it makes families feel like they have some sort of action. Social media companies, on the other hand, understand that these changes create even more problems. And those solutions are much more nuanced than just legislation. Think about the internet. The internet is international. U.S. law doesn't go very far sometimes. So social media companies also claim that they were taking as much action as they possibly could. And Congress said, it's clearly not enough. So with X kind of implementing a new child safety center in Texas after it was subpoenaed for this testimony, the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing was, if if temporary, still helpful in forcing X to increase their safety efforts. So maybe Congress can be the ones to hold big tech accountable. But the question remains, who's going to hold Congress accountable? So that was the hearing that just happened a few days ago. I want to talk about Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, if you haven't seen this, oh my gosh, a picture of Taylor Swift, a deep fake picture, a fake picture was circulated of Taylor Swift. I haven't seen it, to be honest with you, but I've heard that it's an explicit photo of her at like a Kansas City Chiefs game doing something explicit, okay? In the last week of January 2024, 
X, formerly known as Twitter, dealt with a trust and safety crisis that was a long time coming. If you've been listening to my podcast for some time, you know that I did a deep dive on non-consensual deep fake images and videos and what the law says about all of this. And you know that it's been a long time coming. We've had uh, other actresses like Gal Gadot, Emma Watson, most recently a Bollywood actress. They've all become victims of deep fake pornography. And Taylor Swift's images were another wake-up call to provide victims with some sort of legal recourse. Interesting, because if it's going to happen to anyone where there's going to be change, it's going to be Taylor Swift. I'm not glad that this happened to her, but it almost had to happen to someone like Taylor Swift for there to be action about it. So less than a week later, U.S. lawmakers introduced the Defiance Act in response to these AI-generated images. Senators Durbin, Graham, Klobuchar, Hawley all state that this bill will address non-consensual deepfake pornography by providing victims with a civil right of action to seek justice. The Defiance Act creates a federal civil remedy for victims in a digital forgery, which is defined as a visual depiction created through the use of software, machine learning, artificial intelligence, or any other computer-generated or technological means to falsely appear authentic. So the bill actually kind of builds upon an existing provision, which is the Violence Against Women Act Reauthorization Act of 2022 which provides victims a similar right of action for non-fake videos and images. Congress kind of acknowledged that this volume of deepfake content available online is increasing exponentially as the technology has become more accessible to the public. And I actually talked about this study that they mentioned. I talked about it in the last podcast where I talked about this issue. There's a 2019 study by Sensity claiming that 96% of deepfake videos were non-consensual pornography. Congress also noted that currently there are no laws addressing deepfake pornography. So there are 48 states and Washington, D.C., which have passed laws prohibiting the distribution or production of non-consensual pornography. Only California, Virginia, and Texas have enacted laws focusing on deepfakes. Texas was the first to enact a law outlawing political deepfakes, while Virginia and California specify deepfake pornography. Only two states have any type of law that address deepfake pornography. Again, state law doesn't really mean a whole lot when the internet is domestic, international. State law doesn't go very far. So the the, the addition of a federal law does help. But will any of these laws make an impact? So after I studied the law surrounding this issue last year, I compiled some main points that you should know about any deepfake legislation that Congress tries to implement. First of all, the vague language in these acts are going to be an issue when it comes to the courts. The language in this bill remains pretty vague. So how will a court, the this case in particular was pretty clear. This was a picture of Taylor Swift. There are indicators that tell you this was supposed to be Taylor Swift. But how will a court really determine whether the image looks enough like Taylor Swift to warrant a case? What if there are future cases where it's not quite exactly Taylor Swift, but it looks kind of like Taylor Swift, but maybe it could just be a blonde girl? There are a lot of different vague things that people could argue. Now, the question of free speech is obviously raised here. Any legislation 
will raise huge questions about artistic expression and free speech. So how is using AI to create deep fake different from an artist drawing a pornographic image of Taylor Swift? What if they just use kind of a digital illustrator and it's a really, they're a really good drawer and it's just like a really realistic photo. Does AI not fall as another artistic tool? Is it now just kind of a, a digital tool? It's not artistic at all. So if AI is not artistic, does that mean that it's not artistic in all other cases that are not dealing with pornography? There's the other issue of even if the creator of this image could argue free speech, it's nearly impossible to track down an original creator of an image or anyone who really distributes it. People can so easily stay relatively anonymous online. So there's a website called Mr. Deepfakes. It's one of the most prominent deep, deepfake pornography websites. And it advertises jobs for deepfake creators. And it offers to compensate them in cryptocurrency, keeping this exchange anonymous and untraceable. The technology itself also protects the deepfake creators. Perpetrators will go to great lengths to initiate such attacks at such an anonymous level that neither law enforcement nor platforms can identify them. If the creator lives internationally, U.S. law is not going to help Taylor Swift. It's so easy to stay pretty anonymous online. Even so, even if you couldn't, it might be hard to track down the original creator. The person who posted that Taylor Swift picture initially maybe didn't create it. So does it come down to the creator of the image? Does it come down to the person who first posted the image? Does it come down to the person who just distribute, redistributed it on or reposted it on X? So what is that? Who is responsible for it from the creation to the last person who views it? Who is responsible between all of those points? The other issue is that, as we talked about, social media has immunity. So could Taylor Swift sue X? At this point, not really. She doesn't have much. Section 230 protects social media companies from liability, even if the deepfake is distributed on their platforms. Although most platforms have a zero tolerance policy for revenge porn, they all do. We saw how quickly and easily the Taylor Swift photo was circulated on X. And their best solution was to block any type of search for Taylor Swift. So you couldn't search Taylor Swift, but you could search Taylor Swift. You could search any variation of her name still. So like, it wasn't a good solution. And then they, they only did it for like a few days and then they left you back to searching Taylor Swift. It wasn't the best solution. <laughs> they don't have a plan. They don't have crisis protocols ready to go when stuff like this happens. Just taking down the ability to search Taylor Swift was not the most productive. If Congress decides to repeal or revise Section 230, Taylor Swift might have a standing to sue any social media company that distributes the images, but that wouldn't really stop the creators from going to another platform and distributing it there. You can see how quickly and easily it gets really out of hand. There's, there's no way to control it. There is no regulation of the internet and it can get out of control so easily. So what about the Supreme Court? Because you might be asking, so if Congress isn't going to do anything, could the Supreme Court do something? The Supreme Court evaluated a very similar question in Ashcroft versus Free Speech Coalition. 
The Free Speech Coalition challenged the Child Pornography Prevention Act of 1996, which expanded the, pro- the prohibition of child pornography to include not only pornographic image images using the actual children, but also any visual depiction that appears to be of a minor engaging in sexually explicit conduct. The CPPA bans a range of sexually explicit images, sometimes called virtual child pornography, that appears to depict minor, but were produced by the means other than using real children, such as through the use of youthful looking adults or computer imaging technology. The Supreme Court concluded that computer generated child pornography not involving actual children was considered protected speech. So if virtual child pornography is considered protected speech under this case that was decided in 2002, Adult victims are going to have a struggle fighting against the First Amendment protections of deepfake creators. So with deepfake non-consensual pornography on the rise, Congress and social media companies are taking the right actions. And to implement legislation for social media companies to implement policies and do what they can to combat the issue when it happens, though... X probably should have had a little bit stronger barriers with that. But you can see how out of control things can get and how quickly it can happen. And while I'm not glad that this happened to Taylor Swift, like I said, I'm glad that it was the catalyst for some action from Congress and social media companies. This did was part of the reason maybe X decided to implement this new safety center in Austin, Texas. And so hopefully social media companies will take it as a forewarning to implement more focused and strategic crisis protocols so that no other person becomes another victim of an explicit deep fake. The last issue I want to talk about is something that's coming up in the Supreme Court on February 26th. So keep an eye and an ear out. There are two cases going to the Supreme Court that they are hearing oral arguments on that will resolve this 5th and 11th Circuit split. So the 5th and 11th Circuits have disagreed about a particular issue. The 5th Circuit involves Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, and the 11th Circuit is Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. Just to give you, paint the picture of what we're talking about. So the 5th Circuit case is Net Choice versus Paxton. The brief, brief overviews of the facts of the case Texas enacted legislation to regulate large social media platforms like Facebook, X, and YouTube. The law purports to prohibit large social media platforms from censoring speech based on the viewpoint of the speaker. This stems from the censorship of particularly conservative politicians on these platforms. And so the Fifth Circuit rejected the idea that platforms have a freewheeling right to censor what people say, and they affirmed Texas legislation. So the main issue the court will address, does Texas legislation prohibiting social media platforms from censoring users violate the First Amendment? You're like, okay, that makes enough sense. But the issue is the fact that the 11th Circuit decided the exact opposite. So the 11th Circuit case is Moody versus Net Choice. The brief overview on the facts of that case. Florida enacted similar legislation, which imposed various restrictions on social media platforms, such as prohibiting the deplatforming of political candidates 
and requiring detailed disclosures about content moderation policies. So Florida's legislation attempts to address what it perceives as bias and censorship by large social media platforms against conservative voices. Unlike the Fifth Circuit, the 11th Circuit rejected Florida's legislation, declaring that it does violate the First Amendment. So the main issue the court will address there, does Florida's content moderation legislation comply with the First Amendment? So the Supreme Court is going to listen to these two cases and needs to kind of resolve this split, this inconsistency between the 5th and 11th Circuits. Through these two cases, the court will examine whether social media platforms are common carriers, which you can learn more about in my blog. I have a little, a much more detailed explanation of what common carriers mean. So if the court decides that state legislation can regulate censorship, social media platforms might need to fine-tune their policies regarding political speech and whether they're going to allow certain conservative or liberal voices to be able to talk about certain things. So this all stemmed from the deplatforming of President Trump and the censorship of conservative voices. And that was kind of the, that's the battle going on there. So the court is going to hear these on February 26th. We'll have a lot to talk about then and well, then and when they, you know, finally decide that case and, and put out their opinion. We'll have a lot to talk about then. But I just want to give you that little tidbit because now you know. Now you know what's happening this month in tech policy and tech law. And I'm so glad that you listened to this and that you were interested in these topics. And I would love to hear from you what you think. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on these issues because they're extremely complex and that's why I love them. There's so many different nuances to them. So I'm curious, even if you're not in any of these industries, I'm curious what you think as a user of social media or as somebody who works in trust and safety, I'd love to hear from you. You can connect with me at the Lisa Battaglia on Twitter. TikTok, and Instagram, and YouTube. You can find my Medium blogs in the description below where I write a little bit more about these issues, and you can follow me there as well. And don't forget to rate this podcast. Give it five stars if you enjoyed it. Subscribe wherever you like your podcasts. And I hope you feel so elevated, and I'll see you next time.